Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and board view podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young. And Amanda Redfern. Each week we take a high-yield topic and talk about the why and the how. What are we talking about this week, Amanda? So we're going to continue our series on refractive shifts, and this time we're going to talk about astigmatism. And again, if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, we're going to do this for oral board review format, so it's going to be pretty quick in terms of the highlights you need to remember if you get an astigmatism case or rather acquired astigmatism case in your um, in your oral boards. So we'd like to do this in an organized fashion from front to back. Amanda, do you want to take it away with the most anterior cause of acquired astigmatism? Yeah, this week we actually get to talk about the lids. So- oh, what is that? Yeah, right. It's more than I've ever thought about, but. Sorry, any oculoplastic surgeon out there. Yeah. In all seriousness, ptosis. So we think about this a lot in kids who have congenital ptosis, but it can also happen in adults too, where the ptosis and that lid is uh, pressing against the uh, cornea and causing an induced astigmatism. Right. Along those lines, I mean, any mass on your lid that's pressing against your eye can do a similar thing. Yeah, and I think what maybe what the surprising thing might be for more junior residents is that even ptosis is enough kind of pressure or movement along the cornea that can cause astigmatism. And it's important to remember that this can give acquired astigmatism in children because it can then in turn induce amblyopia. So that's why it's like a pretty dang important thing to remember with acquired astigmatism in a, in a pediatric population. Next is the cornea. It's just like with the other refractive shifts, probably has the most number of reasons. Reasons that... In the cornea, that you should give a careful example, include a pterygium, Salzman's nodules, peripheral corneal degenerations or keratitises like PUK, Morin's disease, and then any any kind of ectasia. So either a post-surgical one, iatrogenic ectasia, or other ectasias that we've covered in other episodes, like like keratoconus, etc. Um, and then lastly, don't forget that sutures can cause acquired astigmatism. You know. Just a little bit of tension on that 10 nylon can induce a pretty reasonable amount of astigmatism. Yeah, I'm pretty sure mine induce astigmatism. That's why I always take those out a little bit of, you know, a couple of weeks before I actually do their final refraction after yeah. cataract surgery when I have to put a suture in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do that definitely with my secondary lens cases. I'm like, ooh, let's get that, that is the, the suture on, which <laughs> I really hope that we nailed the prescription. But, you know, is what it is. Okay, so the next source is going to be the lens. And a lens dislocation can certainly cause an astigmatic shift. Lenticonus, which is that kind of weird outpouching on either the front or the back of the lens. The lens itself can acquire an astigmatism as the cataract is forming, and then lens colobomas. Yeah. The thing to remember about lens dislocation is it's not just your native lens that might dislocate with like ectopia lentis, but also um, an intraocular lens can dislocate. Like if it rotates or tilts, it can give you acquired astigmatism too from broken zonules or whatnot. Oh, it doesn't take much rotation for a toric lens to completely uh, change the astigmatic correction. So decrease what you had intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, and then the probably the most important thing to remember out of all of these is going to be to do with the ciliary body, and that'd be a ciliary body melanoma. So again, it's a melanoma, it's a tumor, it can be lethal. It's a big thing that you don't want to miss. So you want to talk about how you're going to look for 
lens subluxation, that sectoral cataract, really carefully examine lenticular astigmatism to have a low threshold to, to, to look at the ciliary body with something like a, a UBM or an um, anterior segment OCT if they can penetrate that far back. Or at least simply a gonioscopy or gonioscopic exam is something that everyone has available in their office, no matter where you practice. Some of those machines you may not, but I did find that the most interesting thing about this was the different ways it can cause the stigmatism. So like Ben said, the subluxation of the lens, sectoral cataract or lenticular stigmatism. I thought that was fascinating because originally when I heard about this, I was like, how on earth? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty wild, and um, you know that's like the big thing they're going to want us to know when we're taking our oral boards. Because again, oral boards is like don't kill anyone. Yeah, that's like the the biggest thing. If you listen to our intro to oral boards episode, can the retina cause astigmatism? Well, it's more like can Ben cause astigmatism? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, there's not like even things like fovilectopia, like dragging of the retina usually doesn't cause like a measurable astigmatism. But just like you're talking about with corneal sutures, you can get astigmatism. If you have a retina surgery and the retina surgeon elects to suture your sclerotomies, it is possible, don't ask how I know how, that if you tighten your sutures too tight, that you can cause astigmatism that way by um, deforming the sclera. So, just if you know if someone had a vitrectomy and then they have astigmatism afterwards, you can think about that as a possibility. So, are you deforming the sclera to the point that it tugs on the cornea? It's like the whole sclera kind of can like infold a little bit, and like that warping of the sclera just four millimeters back can eventually have an effect on the sclera, on the cornea. Ah, oh. yeah. Like if you think, of, especially if you make a suture past that radial, you know, then you yeah. can really tug on. Especially if you do that. Like, you know, it, it really depends on the surgical style, whether you suture radial or circumferential. It has to do with how you prefer your sclerotomies to be made. So It's not like the angle that you're sitting at. Like, oh, Yeah, it shouldn't be the angle. You should be able to do it both ways. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, it really has to do with the, the pad, the plane you make your sclerotomy. So. Well, I'll leave the sclerotomies to you. Yeah. I, I wish I could leave the sclerotomies to someone else. Anyway. <laughs> Amanda, do you want to go through one more time to review what the causes of acquired astigmatism are? So from front to back, we have lid causes. So either ptosis or a lid mass pressing on the cornea and warping it. And then, of course, the cornea being the big culprit. We have things like pterygia, Salzman nodules, uh, corneal disease like ectasias or ulcerative keratitis. And then, of course, sutures. On the lens side, we have dislocation, lenticonus, astigmatism, and coloboma. The big do not miss is the ciliary body mass, specifically the ciliary body melanoma. And then, as I just learned today, you can have uh, some issues with sclerotomy closure where it's a little bit tight and it can eventually cause some astigmatism. Yeah, they probably won't ask you about that, but you could just keep it in the back of your mind, especially if you are a colleague who is also closing sclerotomies. I think you can also technically have one with like trabeculectomies or something too, you know, but uh, yeah. Anyways, that's all we have for this week. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can follow us at is 4 years the number four. And if you like to support our podcast, you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you found us. Thanks. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.